Well, it's good to be together this morning, and uh, this morning we do begin our series on in pathways, and so over the next 12 weeks, we're going to be in this series, and the, the intent, the purpose of the series, if you stick it out through the whole thing, what we hope to accomplish as we go through this is a clear path of what it looks like to live a faithful life to Jesus. I don't know about you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a big assumption about people that show up on a Sunday morning at Northgate and Chapel. I'm going to guess that that's something that you're interested in. You know, you're maybe a little bit interested if at the end of my life, have I walked down a road that honors Jesus and have I reached the destination in which I know he clearly called me to move toward? Now, I don't know what your life is like. I I know mine fairly well. Some say not as well as I should, but I think I know my life fairly well in this My life tends to work like this. I wake up in the morning and I have certain things I need to do. And I kind of try to accomplish all the things I have in a day while I love my wife, take care of my kids, and do all of the things that I do here. And I try to manage that in the day-to-day. And life can get kind of complicated and life can get kind of busy and I can get caught up in the day-to-day. Anybody have that issue where you just get caught up in the day-to-day of your life? Right? All of us have that, I think. Now, even that, looking a little bit backwards, I look at my life and I can see the week to week. And sometimes when I sit down, if I'm honest with you, on a Sunday night, I open my calendar and I go, it's going to be a really hard week, right? There's a lot of things that are coming. I don't know if you ever kind of look at your week to week and you kind of feel a little overwhelmed of your week to week. And somewhere in you, you go, I've got to get through this. And once I get to this day, Things are going to lighten up and it's going to get a little bit easier. That's some of our lives. And we can even scroll out month to month and say, I know this month is going to be a really hard month. There's certain months that I've learned at this point in my life and my old age that there's certain months in the work I do right here. I know there's certain months, August and September are always crazy busy months for me. And I know it now, and I can see I'm coming, and I can kind of not feel so overwhelmed midway through, but I saw it. I knew it was coming. And we can look at our month to month, or even year to year, we typically don't look at, um, but we look backwards sometimes at a year, and you're like, whoa, what a crazy year this last year was. Hello, that's our year, right? Like, we had a baby, right? That's always a crazy year. And so, so we look back, and we do this, but, but we often don't look like this. Where am I headed? In the day-to-day, the week-to-week, the month-to-month, the year-to-year, what is the trajectory of my life? Am I going to land in a place that when I see my father face-to-face, he's going to say, good job, well done, a good and faithful servant. Now, we talk about that a lot, this well done, thy good and faithful servant. Have you ever heard that before in the church, right? We're all aiming toward that. We all say this thing, but... I'm going to be honest with you how I feel about that. I think sometimes what we define that by is like he was a good guy. And so the good guy thing doesn't do well for me because I do a lot of funerals. And I've done funerals for a lot of bad people that we just try to tag on a good guy because it just seems like the right thing to say at the end of their life. But in reality, he abandoned his kids. He was never there everybody's kind of angry at him. And at the end of the day, good guy just doesn't quite cut it. 
but it just seems like the thing we should say. Anybody with me on this? And so, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I don't think it's going to be defined by good guy, but what is it going to be defined by? Now, how this works out, I think, as we look at the full trajectory of our, our life, there is a road, and the scriptures actually talk all the time, right? The word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? The scriptures are pretty frequent talking about a road, a journey, the path, the trajectory, the, the direction in which my life is headed. So the big question is, okay, there is a road, Am I walking down it? Am I navigating it? Or am I just kind of wandering on my own roads and taking different little paths all the time and never headed trajectory-wise down the pathway that God has for my life? So the question, where should we go? And why go down it? And I, I don't want to go, and I don't think anybody in this room does. I don't want to go where I should not go, but sometimes we just don't think about the full trajectory of our life. Why? Because every day is pretty busy, and every week is pretty busy, and every month can get pretty busy, and every year can get pretty busy. And before we know it, we've lived a lot of days and a lot of months and a lot of years and a lot of time heading somewhere that we just didn't really even think through where we were going. So today, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 28, 16 through 20, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, this is what we call in the church, the Bible never calls it this, but this is what the church fathers called it, that's what we call it, we call it the Great Commission. It's referred to as the marching orders of the church, but it's not just like the church, big C church, and it's not just the church, the local church, but it's the church in its very finest form, that if you boil the church down, what is the church? It's people, and when you come down to people, then you boil it down even further, it is to a person. And so for each and every one of us, this is the great commission. It's the true north of the Christian life. It's the pathway that God has called each and every one of us to walk down. And so in this text, what we see is this, this will the, of the Father for us, each and every one of a, each and every believer. So Matthew 28, 16 through 20 reads this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, some of you that like, memorize this says in the King James, And lo... I am with you always to the end of the age. So the, the context of this commission, um, <clears throat> we find in kind of 16 and verse 18, 16 through 16, 17, 18. So the context of the commission, the people that are present in this, it's 11 minus 1. Anyone want to guess who the minus 1 is? Right? Judas, right? Judas is no longer there, the betrayer. He's gone. And so we have Peter, James, John, Andrew, Nathaniel, young James, Jude or Thaddeus, went by both names, Matthew or Levi, both names, Philip, Simon, Thomas. So these are the 11 that are there. And we also have another 11 in this. There's 11 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus that, that we have. But this is the only one. This is different than all the others. Because all the others was when Jesus showed up, but this one was by appointment. 
So Jesus directed them to this place, to this time, to hear this word. And so, just so you know, some of you who are late, like there's some appointment you shouldn't be late to, and the 11 weren't late to this appointment. Jesus had directed them. We see it in Matthew 26, 32. This was by appointment. So we see the people present. And now it says that they came different kind of in their emotions. Some worshiped and some doubted. And so worship, they exalted, stood in awe of the resurrected Savior, and then some doubted. And I would say that this doubt isn't more of who Jesus was, but it was um, the, the, the word could be translated fear or hesitation. Maybe they were confused and unaware of what was happening. Maybe they were confused and unaware because they knew what he was about to ask them to do and they weren't sure they could accomplish what he was about to ask them to do. So some worshiped and doubted. And then in this, we see these bookends. Now this is gonna be um, at the end of verse 18 um, into 19 and then it's gonna come at the very end of the text. So we're gonna see it and at the end of verse Verse 18, he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what Jesus is about to say is, not many people can make this kind of commandment. Actually, no one else can ask or require what I'm about to ask and require. And so Jesus kind of says, I am in the position to ask this. So it it works like this. Just so you know, Ryan Johnston, there's not a lot of people that tell me what to do. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure that's true for most of you. Um, we don't have a lot of people in our lives where we say, when they say something, I do something. My mom and dad probably still have that a little bit-ish. My mom probably does. Uh, my, no. Uh, so there's not a lot of people that have this place in my life. But but I'll tell you a little bit of my why up front in this text. Jesus does for me. Jesus has authority in Ryan Johnston's life because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a Christ follower. And that doesn't mean that he saved me and then I just get to do whatever I want to do in my life. It means that he calls the shots. This is when we use words, and scripture uses words like Lord and words like master, which could be translated into words like boss. We have to decide in our lives who's in charge. I think the key to the Christian life, the pathway into the Christian life is laying down our rights and saying, I am no longer boss in my life. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And then the ends, this text, the bookends of this are Jesus and Jesus. Okay, so he goes, I have all authority to do this. And by the way, if you do it, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. He says, you don't have to go with this alone. This is not something I'm going to see how well you've done it. I am with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to abandon you. I am going to be with you. Now, actually, this command that we're going to pick apart, this command, it says all authority, like, go do this. I have the authority to command you to do this, and I'm going to be with you if you do it. But I I believe this so much that, that with the command comes like, in, 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 in obedience to the command comes blessing. And I don't talk about that very much here, but there's a blessing in this text connected to how we go about our life. And the blessing is this, that if you go about making disciples, I'm going to be with you step by step. If you reject this command, I'm not. 
I believe that's true for churches. You go into churches and you see churches that aren't about making disciples, and I'll show you a dead church. And it might, it might look vibrant on stage, but I'll, I'll, I'll show you dead people. Because with this command, I will be with you always. The presence of God will be with us when we go down this endeavor. And so that is corporately as a church. But I'm telling you, church, hear me on this. Individually, when we run down this road, and we're going to see make, of making disciples, we have this great promise that God's going to be with me, that Jesus himself is going to walk with me down this road, and he will be with me, and he will lead me, and he will guide me, and his blessing will be upon my life because I have engaged in what he has asked of me. So the, the context of the commission, there was people present, they worshiped and doubted, and this book ends of the text. There's authority, right, and then a promise of his presence in this text. So let's look at the content of the commission. The content of the commission works like this. So if you're following with me on the back of your guides, here's where we get into it. So the content of the commission looks like this. He says, go therefore and, what, make disciples. And so in this, the imperative, right, the thing that stands out in this text is make disciples. So it is the main verb in the text. And then all the other verbs in the text support this main verb. That's what the imperative does. So if I ask one of my daughters, hey, could you go down to the basement and could you pick up your toys? Right? And they come back upstairs, and I walk down the basement, and I'm like, your toys aren't picked up. Why didn't you then? They said, Dad, you just told me to go down to the basement. I'm like, no, 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 no. Going to your basement has nothing. Like, that's fun for you, right? Going down the basement, what I asked you to do was to pick up your toys. And so in this text, the imperative is, is to make disciples and go, teach, and baptize. These are going to be the things that you do as you make disciples. And so the imperative this is where the church is kind of proclaimed this sometimes poorly, is we do this, go, go, go. Go to Ukraine, go to this place, go to that place. Yeah, we should go, but what do we do when we go? We make disciples, we baptize, we teach, and we continue going wherever we are in this. We'll get into that more. So make disciples to, means to take action. This is the plan A of God. And so the, the, the Greek word in this is mathetusite. This is to make disciples of. Again, it's the imperative of the text. And what it's saying is to take action. And so take action and making disciples mean there's this upward action that I have to make initially. And this upward action, that's I have to say, yes, sir, God, I hear you. Like you've asked me to do something and I'm in to do what you've asked me to do. But it's not just this upward thing where I'm saying, yes, God, I'm going to do this. It's this upward action of saying, like, I need to be a disciple. I need to know you deeply. I need to get in my, to a place in my life where I'm, I have something worth giving away. I remember a guy who discipled me in, um, when I was much younger and um, just in, in the faith, just in ministry, and he said this. He goes, Ryan, the greatest prayer you could ever pray is that God would, 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 would put someone in your life, would give you someone to disciple. He goes, it's a super scary prayer because God might answer it and he might give you someone. But he says what's even scarier is he might give you no one because your life's not worth duplicating. 
So this making disciples isn't just about an action that I'm doing, but it's someone in which I am, and my life is worth giving something away because Jesus has given me something. So we take this action upward saying, I need to know you first. I need to grow in you. And yes, God, I want to do this. 10-4, yes, sir. I'm going to enter into this lifelong task of worshiping you and obeying you by being a disciple and making disciples. But it's not just, act, again, it's, it's, it's upward to him. Yes, I want to do this. But there's this inward action. And the, the root word of disciple is to be a learner or a pupil. And so now I'm saying that, that, God, I want to follow you. And I want to commit my life to you. And not only do I want to commit my life to you, but I want to attach my life to you, Jesus. I want my life to be fine, that I am a Christ follower, that I learn from Jesus, that I'm a disciple of Jesus, that he has taught me how to live, how to act, and how to behave. And I want to be his aroma to my neighbors and to my friends and my family and my coworkers. I want to display him with my life. And so it's an inward action of saying, God, make me something I am not. And I'll tell you this, for me standing on the stage, God has made me something I was not. This is his transformative work of changing our lives to be something they were not. So being a disciple is becoming a learner, a pupil, committing our lives, attaching it to Jesus. And then, as I said a minute ago, then duplicating ourselves. And we see this played out in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 2.2, this is how Paul and Timothy work this out. He says, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, these things I've entrusted to you. You entrust to faithful men who will entrust to others that guy who made that statement to me about duplicating my life, there's a picture of him. I should have brought it for you this morning. There's a picture of him in India. He's a retired pastor, and he's traveled over 230 countries. And there's a picture of him, and there's a picture of a group of guys, and there's a sign that says, Timothy. And there's about 10 guys behind that sign, Timothy. And then behind that, <clears throat> there's a picture, and it says, faithful men. And there's probably about 200 men behind that. And then there's a picture of others. And they say in total in the pictures, there's 10,000 men from India in which Herb has affected because he was committed to duplicating his life, just reteaching what Jesus had taught him to others. Spiritual multiplication, taking my life and, and, and doing something with it. So it's an upward commitment, it's an inward commitment, it's an outward commitment. And this is this, this making, this, this making disciples choosing in my life to do something and to give this away. So, so in this, what, what, what we see that, that is being asked of us, the imperative, and hear it, it's not my words, the Lord's. Hear the words of the scriptures over you today. Church, make disciples. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is the true north of our lives and what Jesus is asking of us. And so some of you may say, I'm too young. I don't even have anything to give. Maybe some of you might say, I'm too old. I've never done this, and I don't know what to do. I promise you this. He said, go and do this, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And at the end of this, he says, and I will be with you. If he wasn't with us, it would be our work and for our own glory, but he is, and that's why this is his work, and it is for his glory, because he is the one who achieves these things through us. And I promise you, if God can use this guy in any small shape or form that he can use any of you, my life is a testimony to his grace and his alone.
And so in this, there's words of make disciples, and it involves an action upward of yes, sir, inward, help me to become, and an outward, I'm going to do this with my life. And so then this kind of the, the undergirding principle. So now what does this actually look like in the day-to-day? Well, the first thing it looks like is it says at the beginning of the text, go and make disciples. So go means to take risks with our life. Go means to take risks with our, with our lives on behalf of Jesus. So it says go and make disciples of all nations. So go, move forward with a mission, move forward with intentionality, all nations. So the word there is uh, panta ta ethne, right? And you hear the, the Greek in that, ethne, what does that mean? All ethnicities, all people. No one is outside the, the love and the care and the grip of God. He wants all people to come to know him. He died for all people. And so this all nations is to go to distant lands and it's to go across the street. It's to go to Thailand, right? And it's to go to our next door neighbor, to the places where we work, the places where we go, the places where we frequent. It's all places. It's all inclusive of moving forward. And so what does this take in our lives? It takes this word that we love, but some of us don't know very and it takes this word called bravery. It takes bravery to go. It takes courage to go. It takes courage, why? Because when you're in a workplace, I don't know if you've ever known it, just do it. Just like stand up outside the cubicles and just say, Jesus Christ. Just say it somewhere. Go to lunch. And they say, I went to church on Sunday. And they say, oh, what'd you do there? And we said, we learned about Jesus Christ. Right? It's cool to say, man, my church is great. I love the people there. They're really nice to me. But when we start saying the name of Jesus, what happens? It gets weird, right? I know it. I'm a pastor. I meet somebody and they're like, cuss, 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 da, da, da. And they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, weird. This is weird. I don't know if I should have. And then some people are like, man, that's not weird. I'm going after this guy. I'm going to make him feel really uncomfortable. Love those people. And so, so these are, I mean, these, these are things. When we, when we step in and we say, I'm going to live on mission for you. I'm going to make disciples, meaning I'm going to help people come to know you and grow up in you. When we begin to move and we begin to go and we begin to take risks with our lives, it takes bravery, it takes strength, and it takes courage because it doesn't come natural and it's not easy. And for you introverts out there, it is super hard, right? Just seeing your neighbor cutting a branch off the tree, you're like, I should go talk to him, oh, but I don't really want to go talk to him right now. But I really should go talk to him. And your wife's like, you need to go. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. And then you see a kid and you're like, hey, let me help you ride your bike. Like it's, it's hard. It's not that easy. But it takes courage to have conversations about eternal matters because they matter. Because this thing isn't going to last forever. And we are going to see him face to face. And I will give an account. And you will give an account. And if we never have moments of bravery, if we never have moments of courage, if we have never have moments where it takes deep strength within to move forward, I'm telling you, the Christian life is impossible without those moments. Because it is filled with those moments. And I know them because I've felt them. And I still feel them. And you do. But we have to move past these moments of fear. And move into moments of bravery because it, is, because it is worth it. What's not worth it is living in fear. What's not worth it is letting our fear stop us. What's not worth it is living as cowards. Never mentioning the one who loved us so much that he fully gave himself for us on the cross. 
So we move forward in bravery and strength and courage because there is no one more worthy of being brave for. There's no one more worthy of being strong for. And there's no one more worthy of having courage for than Jesus Christ. So this means that I'm going to have to take risk, risk going to places that are uncomfortable, physically and internally, and I'm going to have to push myself to go. So it says to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And so baptize, which means identity, and I, I baptize. And so baptism isn't about what we typically make baptism about. Baptism is some sort of typical ritual in which is, is kind of this like, transition into the faith of some set or form, and there's many traditions that do that. We're going to have baptism next week, and baptism isn't typically what we make it to be. See, baptism is in, in reference to, it's, it's typically, um, baptism is typically something that causes a bit of friction between us in some way or shape or form. So let's just look at the purity of what baptism it is. is. Now, I'll say this with baptism. It's kind of funny. Um, first time I baptized someone at the last church I served at, I was walking away, and this little old lady walks up to me after I'd baptized, and she goes, um, honey, was that your first time to baptize somebody? And I said, I said, no, ma'am, I've done that before. And she goes, oh, it'll get better, right? So uh, there you go. Thank you for encouraging me. And so that, that really helps me, um, and I'm glad it will get better. And I, I didn't know it was bad. So, uh, so, so baptizing, right, baptism, in reference to what they have done. And so when Jesus is making this command, how was Jesus baptized? Well, we know from church history, and we also know from the text, that Jesus was immersed in water. Jesus was immersed in water. Paul baptized by immersion in water. Through the book of Acts, we see that over and over, baptism was through immersion in water. We saw some changes happen when, in church history, but in the biblical context, what we know is baptism is always through immersion in water. And so we baptize by immersion. So baptize is speaking of identity, but it's also speaking of practice in this. So he's referring to what they've done. So baptizing them, this becomes specific. So everything before this, go and make disciples. These are big general things. Now he's going to get really specific and he's going to say, those that are in the faith, as you are making disciples, there's going to be some critical things that they do in their steps of becoming a disciple. Now, now this is where we confuse baptism. Baptism is just this kind of like step and then I'm done. Baptism isn't really that. It is that, but there's more to it. Baptism is all about identity. And that's what's unique about this when he says baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what this is meaning is now I am identifying with the Father, I'm identifying with the Son, and I'm identifying with the Holy Spirit in my life. And so when I say in the baptistry, baptized in the name of the Father, baptized in the name of the Son, baptized in the name of the Spirit, what it's saying is I'm baptized in the name of the Father, meaning that I am no longer an orphan, but I'm adopted in the, in the family of God, and I am a child of God. I'm, right, the song we sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of God, and I'm secure, and I'm set up in him, and I can be confident that I am his, baptized in the name of the Father. Baptized into the name of the Son, I used to live as a rebel, I used to live as a servant of myself, doing what I wanted, but I am no longer a servant of myself, but I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I am baptized in the name of the Son, meaning that I am no longer identified by myself, but I have died, and my life is now hidden in Jesus Christ, and I am committed to serving him with my life. And then baptized in the name of the Spirit, 
what the sent one from God, that I am baptized in the name of the Spirit, meaning that I used to be alone, but now I am, I'm indwelt with the presence of God, and he is sending me outward in the power of his Holy Spirit to be his missionary in this world. And so in our baptism, what we see is there's this new identity that is birthed in me, and we proclaim it through, through, through a, a watery grave, right? Buried with Christ in baptism, that I'm no longer alive, raised to walk in newness of life. The newness of life is I'm a child, and I'm proclaiming that to all to see that I gave my life to Jesus, and I am now his child. I used to not serve anyone but myself, and now I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I used to live for my own mission and my own purposes, purposes, but now I am filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm a sent one, a missionary on his behalf. So in this, what we do is we tend to focus, and so, so this is our new identity in Jesus, but this is kind of like in studies and in work we do this, we, we focus on the what rather than the why. And the what works like this when we, like, what do I need to do this week? What do I need to get done? What do I need to get done by the end of the day? What do I need to get done this week to finish this class? What do I need to do to finish this course? And we live in the what's, what's, what's. And we live in the what's, we tend to have less purpose. Life tends to be a little bit more drudgery, and I'm just trying to get through. But if I live in the why, it tends to be a little bit more joyful, the why do I do what I do? And so even in work, when I believe in the, the mission or the vision of the company that I'm a part of, and I understand the why, it helps me do the what's a little bit more cheerful and a little bit better. In studies, if I understand the why because I want to get a job and I want to be in this profession, well, then the drudgery of the work helps me to move forward to the end. So we tend to live in the what's often more than the why. But see, the why of baptism, the why of this Christian life, the why of 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 making disciples, it looks like this, is I love Jesus. I, I love him and I want to please him because he loved me so much that it pleased the Father to crucify him on the cross on my behalf. And I want to live for his pleasure because he is the only one who has loved me so much that he literally gave his very own life and took the punishment for my sins. I love him. And if that means declaring it before all people, if that means going and making disciples, if it means taking risks, if it means taking action, all of these things, I am in Jesus because I love you. So why should I be baptized? I believe if you are in Jesus, you haven't been baptized because you want to proclaim that you have a new identity you want to show him that you, you, you want to obey him in everything in life and to experience the joy of obedience because of your love for him. I'm, I'm just telling you that there's not a lot in the Christian life, and I think we get it wrong when we do, that is separated just simply from I love Jesus. Whether that's coming on a Sunday morning, whether that's going on a mission trip, whether that's talking to your neighbor, whether that's loving your wife, whether that's parenting your kids, whether that's taking care of your mom and dad, whether whatever it is in the Christian life, it revolves out of, I love Jesus, therefore I am going to obey him, love him, serve him, go for him. So in this text, right, we, we see baptize, so it says, make disciples, this is the imperative, go take risks, baptize, new identity, then last, says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems kind of all-encompassing. Does that seem a little bit large? 
I mean, it's pretty expansive. And what's great about the words of Jesus is he tends to say things in a way that would take many of us years and years to craft such specificity. But in this, what the words of Jesus say to us is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the bar is set pretty high of what we should aim at. And the bar is set pretty high on what we should aim at. So it says teaching them. So again, this is still specific to individuals. It takes it down to the each individual. And so baptize them, teach them. This is kind of the acts in which we do. Now this is where it gets really expansive of, of kind of growth in the Christian life. So teaching is, involves this. It, turn, it involves learning it, my head, loving it, my heart, and living it, my hands. Head, heart, hands. Teaching happens when all of these things come and sync together and they begin to move out of that. So teaching them, right, to observe, again, observe, not learn, involves knowing and doing so teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, this is, this is what Jesus taught them. He says, what I've done with you, repeat it and standardize it. Repeat it and standardize it. Repeat it and standardize it. Meaning that there is a standard of truth, and this is the standard of truth. And this standard of truth is what we are discipled into knowing, loving, and doing. Knowing, loving, and doing this standard of truth. So what that looks like in our life is we learn it with our, with our head. We engage with the intellect and we grow increasingly. So we engage with our intellect and we begin to study the scriptures and begin to understand the, who God is and what he has done on our behalf. So we, we, we engage in scriptures, we begin to know what he's done. Now, there's a passage that if, if we're only one side in this, as 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, if, if, if you only know... What knowledge will do will puff you up. So just because you know a thing doesn't mean you are a thing. And just because you know a thing doesn't mean God will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Right? Just because my daughter knew to go to the basement doesn't mean that she actually did what I asked. And it doesn't really matter what she knew. She didn't do it. And so in this, that knowing isn't everything. And so learning it is our head. Love it. This is my heart. This is emotional. This is conviction. This is this point in our life when we come to a place of when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'll tell you how this worked in my life. Is I'd been a Christian for years and I read that text. And I just read it different. And I went, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. That's true, and that's scary because a lot of people don't know Jesus, and I began to cry because I realized that there was people all around me in my life that didn't know Jesus, and if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to Father, Father but through him, like, I've got to do something about this, and that's really what began to call me into vocational ministry it was this moment where I knew that truth. I'd heard it a hundred times, but it moved from something I knew to something deep inside of me that caused a conviction in me that changed, right? Loving it changes how we live it. It moves to our hands and our feet. It moves into the going, the living it out, to the bravery that is needed to live out this Christian faith. And, it, and bravery is much easier when you are convinced, convinced, convinced 
that this is how Jesus has asked me to live. This is what his word teaches. This is true, and I am going to live my life in light of his truth. See, there's this power of learning. There's this power of learning this great commission, a truth, for, to be honest, that changed everything for me in my life, this text. It changed the trajectory, the path, the direction of my life. See, my life isn't just about preaching and teaching on Sunday mornings. My life isn't just about being a good dad. It's not about being a good husband. My life has, a, I think, a more noble trajectory, and it's typically about four to five men that I find in my life, and I've had lots of men that have poured into me, and I just get to give away what I've been given. And I believe when I get to heaven, I'm going to give more account for those moments and those meetings than anything else in my life. Because Jesus was clear, he called us to make disciples. Now, I believe that in this moment, even, there's disciple-making happening. But for us, it's coming to a place of taking a posture as a learner, allowing these truths to affect our soul, and coming to a place that where our actions begin to ring through eternity in a way they never have before, by obeying our Lord in the one thing he asked. And just so we're really clear, there's really only two greats that we can kind of pull out of Jesus' teaching and everything else supports them. One is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God, love others. And this, great, go and make disciples. Make disciples by going, baptizing, teaching. This is to us as a church and to each of us as individuals. So, looks like this, I think. I don't know if you remember a movie... um, called Alice in Wonderland. Alice comes to a place in her, in her journey, and she comes to a crossroads, and there's a cat that pops down from the tree, and she says, which road should I take? And he says, where do you want to go? And she says, I guess I don't know. And he goes, well, I guess it doesn't matter what road you take then. I think it's true for the pathway of our lives We haven't set trajectory. We don't really know where we're going. We focus on the what's of Christianity, and so we do the things that we think we should do, but we never have really addressed the why. I want to do the things I'm going to do. And that's why for many, the Christian life is full of drudgery, and it's just hard because we're doing the what's without a why, And we really just don't know where we're headed in the long run. Well, for me, the why is simple. I love Jesus. And I believe I'm in a room with a lot of people that feel that way too. And I want to live my life. And I want to do all the what's because I want people to know him and love him and to worship him. And I want to be faithful to him. And at the end of my life, I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But for many of us, we ask the question, I think, in this is, where am I? Like, I don't even know if my life is at a place where I can make disciples. But we want to help you with that. And so what we created for the beginning of this series, and over the next three weeks, take this. So go online to ncchapel.com backslash pathway. And in that, there's a discovery tool. And in that discovery tool, it helps you sort of do an assessment for your life of where am I headed Do my values meet the values in which the scriptures teach? And am I not just, do I not just, do I, not just do I know them, but do I know them, do I believe in them, and do I live it out? And so what you'll do is you'll go online and you'll take this discovery tool. 
And in this discovery tool, it, you'll fill out the questions, and then not long after, there'll be something kicked back to you. And what will be kicked back to you is next steps for you to take in moving down the pathway of making disciples and living your life down the pathway of what Jesus has called us to. Without a doubt, the scripture is clear. We are meant to make disciples. So what we want to do is help each and every one of us do the very best we can together to fulfill that with our lives because Jesus is worthy of that. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are grateful today for your word. We're grateful for the truth of it. Jesus, we believe that you have all authority on heaven and earth, and we believe that you are with us to the very end of the age. But Lord, we believe also that you're very specific in this text that our life isn't about our business, but it's about your business. And your business is about making disciples, us being and us duplicating that which you've done in our lives. So Lord, would you move us in our lives to a place of submission, of consecration to you, where we say yes to what you've said, and we do the work. And for all of us, Lord, we know it's not easy work and it'll take courage and it'll take strength. It'll take bravery, but you are worth it. So help us to walk down this path you have for us. Help us to be faithful. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, we're gonna sing. As we stand and we sing, if you've never met Jesus and you don't know him and we talk about this this morning, I'm right down front. I'd love to talk to you about knowing Jesus more. Whatever God said to you as we sing this song, might you consecrate your heart to him. Give yourself up to him as this journey of 12 weeks begins of us discovering the pathway that he has for each and every one of us.